Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is December 27th, 2020. Welcome to our special year-end edition of Canadian Common Sense. It is Tony out here in Saskatchewan. And it's Lewis out here in BC. Let me save you all some time. This year's year interview is COVID. See you next year. (laughs) 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 Yep, pretty much. That's uh, certainly been the biggest story. That is actually where we're going to go uh, on the show today. COVID, COVID, some more COVID, uh, a little bit of COVID, and COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and if, uh, we'll talk about some of the government scandals and government's reaction to COVID, and we'll wind the show up with some predictions for next yep. year. So let's start. Let's start in January. And uh, in January, we uh, we started hearing some rumblings about a uh, virus over in China. Um, nobody really thought it was bad. Um, and uh, and then in February, all of a sudden, it just explodes. Yeah, and see, the funny thing with that is our government was actually briefed about this virus in December of 2019 and just neglected to share that with Canadians. But my wife reminded me just a few weeks ago we were talking, and it was actually November of 2019. I remember an entire department were at her at her work. Like there was like five or six people all went down at the same time, and just feeling really off, really sick, and didn't know why. But then they you know bounced back after a week or so and were back at work again. And so then we kind of, you know, yes, I just started to walk backwards on that thought. Hmm, I wonder if that virus didn't get here even earlier than what we well, thought. Well, there's, I mean, there's lots of um, theories that the virus actually arrived in North America back in November, December. Um, I, I honestly don't see how it's possible that it didn't. Um, I mean, it was running around China in September. So, um as far as we can tell, I mean, all you have to do is just look at the government, the Chinese government's actions. And you see back in September, they started procuring a lot of PPE. And, uh, and so that, that kind of indicates that they knew about it in September, which means it must've been running around China back in August, um, for them to start getting PPE in September. Right. Um, or even earlier than that. Uh, but, I mean, it was it was one of those things where I mean, China knew a whole hell of a lot more about it than they were letting on. Uh, I mean, they were telling us that that it wasn't even uh, transmissible from human to human. But if you look at the actions in September, you know that that's not true, and that they didn't even believe that because they knew otherwise. Yeah, that's right. And we, and we also saw, and we had covered this on the show, that the uh, United Front was, you know, in countries around the world, 
trying to secure PPE and send it back to China. And Canada, as we all know, decided to send 16 tons of PPE to China in February, just in time for the pandemic to be declared. So China knew about this, you're right, a long time before. and I mean, we knew about it. I mean, we were, uh, who was it, Uh, Patty Haiju actually admitted, our Minister of of Health actually admitted that they were briefed on it in late December last year, and they still, I mean, they knew it was coming to us, and they sent 16 tons of PPE to China, a country that actually produces the PPE, and we felt it necessary to send 16 tons of our PPE to them, and caused a massive shortage here in Canada. Yeah, exactly. And I need to dispel this one because I remember when the virus was, you know, became, you know, popular for lack of a better word, that first there was the the myth that oh it came from a Chinese wet market. And, oh, it's because somebody ate a bat. And I think we've all learned now that it was actually from a lab in Wuhan where the where the virus was created and obviously got out somehow. And you and I had actually covered this on a show, I want to say April or May, that there was, U.S. had, the United States military was doing some cellular signal tracking and noticed that the area around that lab in Wuhan had been cordoned off and there was no cell, you know, no outside cell phones pinging in this one little zone. So the Chinese knew exactly where this, this virus came from. And I remember you had brought up on one of our shows how 4 million people actually flew out of Wuhan after the Chinese New Year celebrations. And that was kind of when the virus really took off, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the Chinese government actually shut down Wuhan. They, they quarantined the whole city. You, uh, you could not drive in or out of it. You could not take a train in or out of it. Um, you couldn't even fly in or out of Wuhan if you're if you were flying in or out of China. Um, but if you were flying from an international location or flying to an international location, the, the airport in Wuhan was wide open. And so, I mean, like, there's, there's, there's theories, and I'm not going to call them conspiracy, theories because that means that they have no credibility um even though conspiracies are real uh they happen all the time but there are theories that the chinese government either released it on purpose which i don't think is true um or that it got it escaped from that lab and then the chinese government took advantage of it and that is what I think happened. I would go more with that theory. Like I, 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 I would believe that, yeah, it definitely escaped from the lab. I don't think that the government deliberately unleashed it on its population. But I think that you're right. Once the virus was out, the Chinese government just decided, oh, well, then isn't this convenient? And, you know, we saw the actor. Yeah, and I mean, there's more than one. Uh, epidemiologist or um, 
evolutionary biologist that has actually come out and said, you know, we've examined this thing, this virus under a microscope. It has most definitely been manipulated in a lab uh, to make it more contagious. And uh, that the virus itself um, is a natural virus that has been manipulated and uh, has, and, and it's that whole spike protein that it, that it uh, uh, rides around in is, uh, you know, the, 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 the virus was manipulated so that the spike protein, it, it could adhere to that spike protein a lot easier and become more contagious. And it's, this, these are serious people that have made this, this claim. Um, but as we've seen over the year, uh, much like we've seen with other contentious issues such as uh, trans issues and, um, uh, and and other issues like woke issues, is that you're not allowed to question anything the government says anymore. Um, you're not allowed to question the narrative. And if you do, you're automatically branded an anti-masker or someone that doesn't care about lives. And it's like asking questions doesn't mean you don't care. It means you don't believe what's being told to you. And it's, it's, uh, it's really sad that if you even question anything, then you're, you're automatically labeled a far right, you know, extremist or something and it's and it's insane because the government is is lying to us and and we've and it's pretty damn obvious i mean they're not even doing a good job of it and and but if you even question what they're telling you then you're a bad horrible person yeah well and a prime example of that is in march as in february or march when 23 million Chinese cell phone accounts all went dead, almost spontaneously, as it seems. And, yeah, as soon as people started to question that and say, well, why did 23 million cell customers suddenly just decide to, to cancel their cell phone yeah. accounts? And I remember the one answer we got back was, well, you know, because times are tough, so people are dropping their, their second phone number and stuff. And I thought, do that many people in one region of China really have two cell phones or multiple cell phones that suddenly they're all at once deciding it's time to cancel that second account. Like when you question that and just say that the numbers just don't add up again, you're being branded as some kind of conspiracy theorist, but really just step back and say, show me some logic, how 23 million cell phone accounts all of a sudden go dead. Seemingly yeah, overnight. And I wonder why it, why it has become uh fashionable on the left to be a fan of china and and to not question anything china does and um uh and just believe everything that they tell us i mean this is it's it's the left that that is criticizing anybody who questions what china says and it's it's quite disturbing yeah well, that's a good point and 
this love for China, I mean, we know that Justin Trudeau has nothing but love for China. And we'll, we'll bring up a little bit more of that later on as far as the military end of that goes. But, I mean, even in 2015 when he was campaigning, um, I'm sure you remember that creepy women's night with Justin Trudeau that he had in Toronto where he made the, the line about, you know, admiring China's basic dictatorship. And nobody has forgotten that line. But, I mean, he has taken it to quite an extreme the way he defends China. Yeah, it's – he's – it's quite it's it's actually very very concerning that the leader of our country is is this weak against china i mean he's he's ext- he's extremely weak against china it's it's like he is trying to impress them or trying to um uh what's the word i'm looking for he's trying to uh uh Oh, it's, it's like, you know, when you were in school and there was that cool kid that you really wanted to be friends with and you do everything you can to be friends with him, but he still doesn't like you. And yeah, well, that's what what this is like. And, and it's funny because every single time I use a metaphor to describe something Justin Trudeau is doing or saying. For some reason, it always ends up being, well, you know, you remember that, what it was like in the schoolyard? Like, <laughs> and, it, and it always, it always seems to be that that's the most appropriate metaphor to use to describe something Justin Trudeau's doing. That's true. And, and it, what's really sad is that we as Canadians, of course, we still have to look up to this man for, for leadership, which he never really shows. But we were actually at least a couple of times this year able to give Justin Trudeau props because he did say the right things, at least when it came to China. The only one that I can remember off the top of my head was when there was a group of former retired bureaucrats and diplomats, civil servants, et cetera, who had all penned a letter saying that they should, Canada should engage in a prisoner swap for uh, Meng Wanzhou for the two yeah. Michaels. And Justin Trudeau actually stood up and said, nope, we must follow the rule of law and we can't, you know, knuckle under to China's bully tactics. And you and I were beside ourselves to praise Mr. Trudeau for that statement, which he never really followed up with any actual action. But he actually said the right thing, you know, once. Well, I mean, he did follow it up with action and and that action was inaction, which is which was good. I mean, because you we didn't want him to do that, and he didn't do it. So he did follow through with oh, what he said. Good point. So, and and I mean that that's that is something that I got to give him credit for because he, he, and it wasn't just that he said we've got to follow the rule of law. It's that he said if we if we cave in to these bully tactics, then they'll just do it again next time. Every time, every time China wants something from us, they'll just kidnap somebody. And and he was right. I mean, you don't, you don't cave into bully tactics no matter what, even if, even if that, I hate to say it, even if the two Michaels are killed by the Chinese government, you can't cave into that because there is a much, much, much bigger picture. And that is that if China gets, a, gets away with it, if they say, look, 
we'll let the Michaels go if you give us Mung Wan Joe and uh, or else we're going to imprison these two people for life or we're going to sentence them to death. Um, and you cave into that. Then the next time they want something done, they'll just do that again. They'll just kidnap Canadian tourists and, and say, look, we're going to kill these, these people if you don't give us what you want or what we want. And, and Justin Trudeau was 100% correct in saying what he said and doing what he did. Yeah, he was. I mean, and there's been a precedent set. Because I remember, I don't remember how many years ago it was, not long ago, there was two Canadians who were kidnapped in Philippines by a, a Muslim terrorist group. And again, Justin Trudeau was not going to bow to their demands. And unfortunately, those two men were executed. Yeah. And I mean, it was not the ending we wanted, but at least again, he he stood his ground and said, you know, no, we're not going to give in. I think there was other things he could have done in that situation, which may have brought a more positive result. But at least he was consistent. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I mean, this is like this thing with the two Michaels, like conservatives, conservatives, honestly. Are becoming as bad as liberals when it comes to criticizing the uh, the uh, their opponents and saying that that Trudeau's doing nothing to get the Michaels out. Um, I'm sorry, I I can't I can't bring myself to say that because I don't know. I mean, you you don't nobody knows what's what's what talks are happening behind the scenes. Nobody knows what is being done behind the scenes. Um, we, what we do know is that China is a powerhouse uh, that, that you can't force to do what you want them to do. And if they're, if they, if they have told the Canadian government, there is only one way you're getting the Michaels back. And that's if you release Meng Wanzhou and if we release Meng Wanzhou, that we are violating an, an international treaty we have with the United States, um, who is our closest uh, uh, trading partner and ally. Um, and, and, and every other attempt to get the Michaels released has been unsuccessful because China only wants one thing. Then you can't criticize them. No, but I will criticize them on one end because there are things we could have done to make China feel some pain, and Mr. Trudeau and his government have refused to do that. I mean, they could have said, hey, you know what, um, Chinese athletes who are training in Canada for Winter Olympics, I'm sorry, you'll have to go home. Uh, student visas, I'm sorry, Chinese students, you'll have to go home. Those visas are canceled. And little things like that, and even, I mean, there's the, the trade agreements. China has done a lot to cut off trade with Canada as far as Canadian imports are concerned. Canada could do very much the same thing to China and just say, okay, well, this, this container ship load of Chinese goods can just sit in the port of Vancouver until we decide to look at it. But we've done none of that's, those things. Instead, we've just, just said, go ahead and keep kicking us. Yeah, no, that's that's... That's true to a degree. Um, the thing that you you've, you have to remember is that 
the entire population of Canada is equal to the population of one Chinese city. And we, we have True. very little power to fight that Chinese, uh, you know, uh, I don't even know what to call it. It's just, it's just this monolithic um, communist regime, right? That you, we have no power against them, no matter what we do. And I mean, we could just piss them off by doing that. Well, uh, I'm okay with that. Look, look at Australia. They have a smaller population than we do, and they're fighting back. <sighs> yeah, but we don't... I mean, Australia has more of a because they're, they, have, uh, they have physical proximity, so I think that, but... Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right, but I, I mean, again, we don't know what, what has been said behind closed doors on, on those phone calls. We don't know. I mean... China, China could have said, you know, we'll just cut off all your pharmaceutical supply. Well, that's true. I mean, Canada has, unfortunately, we've let ourselves so dependent on not even just China, but for on other countries, period, for a lot yeah. of things that, well, you and I take for granted that are actually in China is not dependent on us, but we are dependent on them, unfortunately, because we right. have we have put ourselves in a position to be dependent on them. We were not dependent on them 25, 30 years ago, but we are now. And it's, it's really sad that we have put ourselves in this position, but we are. And that's, and that's probably a big part of why we have not been able to do much more than what we've done. And uh, I mean, the, but having said all that, I'm I'm now going to jump to your side here. <laughs> the Canadian, as we we learned here in the last month, is that the Canadian the Canadian military has been, you know, training the Chinese military in Canada. Yeah, and we're bringing Chinese military officers into our own military colleges in Kingston, for example for officer training. And I had ranted about that uh, about a month ago. I said, what the hell are we doing bringing foreign adversaries, militaries, into our own backyard? Yeah, because let's be real here. China is not a military ally of ours. Not so what are shot. we doing? Why are we training... The, the military for a country that is, you know, it, it is, uh, it's legitimate to say is an, a militaristic uh, adversary to Canada. We've never become, we've never gotten into a, 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 a war with China, but it could happen because they are not, a militaristic ally of ours they just aren't and they and it, no and that's it, right and it's quite obvious that they've been you know attempting to steal uh intelligence and uh and and other information from canada whether it's through you know spies or digital uh digital hacking uh, i mean we know. I mean, the, the the Chinese. There was a 
the a list of uh, Chinese Communist Party members that was that was leaked, and I mean it included people who live who 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 are in Canada, and, and so I mean like, and it's all over the world, like and they're in high powerful positions, they're they're in up high in major corporations and and in governments, and. And, and I just and it still blows my mind that it is not a bigger story than it is. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So um, I think we'll we'll just do a quick wrap on the COVID and tie it into some of the government actions that have gone on through the year here. So March 11th, that long ago, when the WHO declared COVID to be a pandemic, and then our government decided they were going to go full communist on the Chinese model. And thankfully they chose not to weld our doors shut to keep us inside. But our country went into lockdown back in the spring. And I think it was probably within about a week of the country going into lockdown that you and I started talking about some of the adverse effects. And now some of those adverse effects are actually coming to fruition. Yeah, they started coming to fruition like six months ago. And um, and they're 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 becoming really really difficult for governments to deny at this point. Um, I mean, we've got the the stats. The stats are being slowly released. They're not. It, it's it's really hard in Canada to get information out of the government about about these stats. Um, but. I'm going to talk about BC's numbers on a few of these because they're actually quite shocking. Uh, drug overdose deaths are up 117%. Um, that's like two and a quarter times the, na- the, the, the monthly average. I mean, it, it's... Yeah, it's, it's it's so disturbing, and nobody cares. Um, suicides are up, and it's, it's uh, uh, yeah. There, I won't say suicides are an epidemic yet, but I mean the numbers continue to grow, and a lot of these overdose deaths are suicides. And it's sad that we're not, as a country, either willing or able. To talk about it, I think I think we're, we've I think we're able to talk about it. We're just not willing to, um, because yeah, you know, long old people living in long term care dying of COVID is so is is bad, and and people are are rightfully upset about it and willing to do things to try and help slow that down or stop it, right, and. and and as they should, but because somebody is taking drugs and they OD and die, nobody cares. But the thing is, is that those people are most, you know, some of those people are people who had, you know, they lost their jobs because of COVID and they, and they've run out of money. They've, they've, you know, they're, they're losing their family because they're, you know, when you when you don't have any money, your family falls apart because of the stress and 
and everything. I mean, you, you look at like uh, uh, domestic abuse is way up, child abuse is way up, kids being removed from their from their homes is way up. Uh, homicides are up fifty six percent in BC. Um, suicides are up eighty percent. Um, and, and the crazy ones, the ones you don't even think of are heart attack deaths are up 75%. Um, all forms of cancer deaths are up 65%. And this is because people are, I mean, back in the spring, they actually stopped doing cancer screenings. And so, so people oh, yeah. were like, they were finding out they had stage four cancer when if they were doing the cancer screenings, they would have, they would have, you know, caught them earlier. Um, people are afraid to go to the hospital because, you know, that's where COVID is. Even though many, many, many hospitals, in fact, I believe it's most hospitals, don't have any COVID patients. Yeah, that's right. And that's the biggest thing was that electives were canceled and the screening. So then you suddenly you have people once they were either feeling ill or were willing to go to the hospital getting checked for these things and suddenly it's it's too late like you say that uh, oh geez now you've got stage four cancer and too bad we couldn't have seen you a few months yeah. ago and and there's a lot of these effects that like you said being the media are starting to trickle some of these numbers out but you and I were ringing these alarm bells back in the spring for crying yeah. out loud. And, and I mean, it's it only started getting talked about, I, I would think, around September um, was the first time we really started hearing anybody in the media or the government talk about it. Uh, and yeah. um, but the thing is, is that like even my own sister accused me of not caring about seniors when I started bringing this stuff up. And I'm like, no, that's not what this is. I do care. But I'm, I, I seem to be the only one who does care about these other deaths. Like, yes, yeah, that's the thing. It's not a binary choice. It's not either you don't care about old people you know, or you don't care about anybody else. I mean, it's okay to care about everybody. And that's, that's what we've yeah, been doing. Exactly. And that's what I what I had to get through to my own sister was that no you can question what's what had the government's actions you can question the information being given to us you can question these things but still care you know you can you can bring up all these other deaths that are happening because of our actions to fight COVID but still care about the, about, you know, about taking actions to help stop uh, or help slow down the deaths anyway in, in long-term care facilities. I mean, it is possible to, to care about both. Yeah. Actually speaking of the deaths, I wanted to touch on that one for a second. That was one of the things that has really ticked me off about all of this is that when the pandemic was first announced, the government got some absolutely horrible modeling numbers for 
you know, what we were, were about to face. And I know the numbers for Canada were suspected to be 310,000 COVID deaths by the end of the year. And I keep sticking to the number here in Saskatchewan. When our premier stood up and said we would have, see, 3,075 COVID deaths by the end of May. And by the end of May, we had 24. And what bugs me the most is the governments have never walked that back. They have never said, you know what, we were wrong, sorry. And maybe we shouldn't have locked everybody down. And maybe we shouldn't have bankrupted so many businesses. No, instead, they just said, oh, that was actually pretty easy to lock people down. Let's uh, let's do that again on starting on Boxing Day, all of Ontario. Quebec has been in full lockdown for so certain parts of Montreal since the end of September. And the numbers still keep going up. And you actually did a rant not very long ago, you know, referring to the fact that lockdowns don't work. But here we are again. We've ended the year where we began by locking people down. What the hell are we doing? Yeah, and I mean, I mean, for all we know, maybe the lockdowns do work. Maybe there would be a lot more deaths. Maybe there would be a lot more cases if we didn't lock down. But, but the lockdowns themselves are causing deaths, not COVID deaths, but other types of deaths. And it's so we we've really got to figure out, you know. Obviously, this virus is not as deadly as they thought. It is deadly. It's deadly to a certain demographic. But it's still not a death sentence for anybody. Like, as a, as a, um, it's a death sentence for certain individuals, but it is not a death sentence for, if you get it, it is not a death sentence. Let's put it that way. Um, right. But the government and the media has everybody convinced that if they get it, they're going to die. And when the reality is it's about 1% of those infected will die. And the overwhelming majority of them, 98% of that 1% that dies, 98% of them, are seniors, like old, old, like over 70, but mostly over 80. Um, and they have two or more comorbidities, which is like respiratory issues or heart issues or, you know, something, diabetes, but like serious, serious issues. It's like two or more. I think it's like an average of 2.3 comorbidities in people who die. And they're over 75 or 80 years old. Like, I'm not saying that, and this is where people start going, oh, see, you don't care about old people. You're just, you're, you're like, oh, let them die. No, that's not what I'm saying. The reality is these are the people who are dying. So, so that's right. Numbers, numbers don't lie. I mean, and we've given you the numbers on the show. Figure out a way to protect these people without completely destroying our economy and having people go bankrupt and losing their houses and losing their businesses and having other people commit suicide and 
and, and all these other deaths that are caused by the lockdowns themselves. I mean, not only all of that, but we're also... People seem to just dismiss the fact that our charter rights and freedoms are being completely violated. And, and yeah, I understand that we have to do something to help stop the spread of the virus. I'm with you. I, I totally agree with you. But there is a charter. There is a, uh, a constitution. And just because there's a medical or a public health emergency, which I do agree this is, I'm not denying that. This is a public health emergency. But that does not mean that our charter rights and freedoms get circumvented. Like, because that's what's happening right now. And what happens when you lose rights and freedoms? You almost never get them back. Yeah, exactly. And actually, that's, one more way that I'll actually give Justin Trudeau a lot of credit is that he discussed using the Emergencies Act with premiers, and premiers flat out said, no, we're not going there. And he backed away. He did not try to invoke the Emergencies Act in which he could suspend certain constitutional rights and freedoms. And as much as I'm surprised because Mr. Trudeau loves to be a dictator, and we're going to talk about that spending bill right after this, he actually chose not to go full dictator with the Emergencies Act. Well, I think I think he, but, he chose that only because the, the every single premier stood up to him and said no. Yeah, true. And that could be why, because he brought this spending bill before Parliament early on in the pandemic. And I know you love one part of that spending bill that he tried to push in, which got denied. But he, number one, tried to get dictatorial spending powers for a minority government until, I believe it was until 2022 or at the end of 2021. And what did he talk about? Nationalizing corporations? Yeah. Yeah, they um, wanted to be the ability to nationalize any corporation that they chose uh, in the in the interest of uh, in the interest of Canadians, so uh, that would be to you know if they if they had a if there was a corporation that was building you know hospitals or something they could actually nationalize it take it over and just have it build hospitals for the government um, at their discretion basically like it was just they would be able to take over any any business that they chose. Um, and, and the, you know, and part of the COVID relief uh, package kind of it still includes that. If, if a corporation takes a bridge loan from the government, uh, they have to transfer partial ownership of, the, of that corporation over to the government for a loan, not even for a bailout. This is for a loan that they have to pay back. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, they've uh, the government took on a lot of measures, and I think I'm one of probably about 37 million Canadians who got 
really annoyed after a while of Justin Trudeau every single day standing in front of his chosen press gallery telling us, the government has your back. The government is here for you. And we had programs like the CERB, which I praised early on saying, good for the government. They got to get this money out. And now we find out a week before Christmas that, and I think you had actually brought this to my attention, 441,000 Canadians who received CERB payments were told a week before Christmas, um, yeah, you're going to have to pay that money back now because of some technicality. And I know that Justin Trudeau said, oh, well, we shouldn't worry about that before Christmas. I don't want you to worry about that. But that's actually not his decision. That's the Candidate Revenue Agency, and they aren't really part of Justin Trudeau's PMO, so you better get the checkbook out, Canada. Yeah, because uh, that has to be paid back by the end of the month. And uh, so, and yeah. good luck to those people because I know they don't have the money. Um, but I mean, do you remember early on there were like the the conservatives are raising uh, alarm bells because there was like eight hundred thousand CERB recipients that were flagged as potentially fraud, and and the that. liberals said, ah, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of it later. Well, yeah. And here's CRA yeah, taking here's care CRA of it. CRA taking care of it. And, um, well, <laughs> this is, this is what happens when things get, when you procrastinate things. Yeah, no, that's right. And this government loves to, loves to, uh, move the goalposts and punt the ball down the field. Yep. And I'm know? not saying that I, so, that uh, I feel sorry for these people because I don't know their situations because I do know, I do know of a, of a handful of people, uh, who were, who were taking SERP and EI at the same time. And, and which is totally illegal. Um, so, and I have no sympathy whatsoever for those people who did that. No, for sure. And I, I actually agree with you. I think that that's, that's fraud. Yeah, and honestly. I do feel sorry, but I do feel sorry for people who took it honestly and legitimately thinking that they were, that they qualified for it. And then later finding out that they didn't because that information was passed on to them by, uh, by CRA and honestly I mean I know it's your and my tax dollars but part of me is like you know what if they were given bad info by CRA that is not their fault oh totally agree yep. so now let's uh we've got a few minutes to go here I do want to touch on some of the things, and you had brought this up just before we started the show, actually, that even through a pandemic and through government trying to support Canadians, we discovered this was still a good, as a good Trudeau government, 2020 could not have gone by with yet one more government yeah, they, scandal. It was like they just couldn't resist. Like, they just, it, it yeah. was like, oh, you know, you could just see the meeting. Trudeau and his cabinet. Trudeau stands up and says, look, I know we're in the middle of a pandemic, but we haven't had a scandal yet. So what should we do? 
And someone else and someone else says, what we Hey, uh, JT, I think we need to uh, give some friends some money. And he says, ah, great idea. That's easy. Let's do it. Because, you know, it's like they it's it's like they're compelled to to have scandals. I mean, they decided to give a, a, a not just a liberal friendly group, but a so-called charity. And I and I'm using that in quotation marks because we found out since all of this that maybe the We Charity isn't so much a charity as as they claimed. Um, but the We Charity actually employs. Trudeau's mother and his brothers. And yep, and former finance minister Bill Morneau's daughters. I mean, this <laughs> it's like they don't even try to pretend that they're not giving friends money. And yet and they tried to give them like fifty-five billion dollars. Like, or not fifty-five billion. Sorry, fifty-five million dollars. Fifty-five million dollars to run a five hundred million dollar, uh, um, you know, well, it was a yeah, summer job program. Yeah, what it was? It was uh, financial help for students who were affected, who were, were affected yeah. by COVID and not get, being able to get a summer job. So, uh. But it was worth like five hundred and fifty million dollars, and fifty-five million of that was going to the charity, which we found out was actually not a charitable branch of the We. It was a uh, real estate holdings branch, um, and yeah. with no employees. Uh, well, and what was really bothersome was that this program was being set up, and. They had absolutely no contacts in Quebec. They had nobody that could run a program in French. So they really wanted to say, let's throw a whole bunch of money out the door for a program that cannot even appeal to 25% of Canada's population. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that if that $500 million rollout went smoothly, they would get an additional $450 million plus another you know, $40 million fee. To roll out, you know, to roll out more cash. So I mean, it was like, it was, it was just it was this this was a a total scheme. I mean, it's painfully obvious. The liberals shut down debate on it. They shut down the investigation into it. It's they prorogued government to prevent people from being questioned by committees. It it was. This is so blatant and so um, it, it's it's actually criminal. And I think and yet Canadians are still fully in support of this government. I mean, what does this yeah. guy have to do? It really does make you wonder, doesn't it? And I mean, we're not just even with our, our prime minister, but then even our head of state, the governor general, 
and some absolutely outrageous ways to waste taxpayer money on making a cat door, for example, um, a staircase that basically goes nowhere, security doors, a mission control boardroom, and there was a, was it a space museum yeah. also that she wanted in Rideau Hall? Like, just absolutely ridiculous. I can't even put words to it anymore with just how, how asinine, corrupt, wasteful this yeah. government is. They, oh, don't forget, there was a former Liberal MP who got a contract for PPE uh, for $250 million or $225 million. And, and well, all he yeah. and his company doesn't even make anything. He would, he would be just contracting a company in China to make it and bringing it over. So he was a broker, basically. He wasn't even a company. That, he wasn't even a manufacturer. He was just going to broker the deal for, and he was getting $225 million for it. I mean, it's just, it's just been one yeah. thing after another. And yet, at the end of the year, the liberals still lead the conservatives by four points. Yeah, they do. And it's really, uh, oh, it's really disheartening. And I think the fact that there's been some vaccines approved by Health Canada and now starting to trickle into our population, that seems to be enough for people to say, oh, yep. Yeah, and really, the the liberals had nothing to do with it. I mean, those those were developed; uh, those vaccines were all developed in a relationship between the uh, pharmaceutical companies and uh, the U.S. government. Um, we like Trudeau really doesn't deserve any credit whatsoever for these vaccines, but yet he's getting credit for them. Yeah, and uh, actually, as a side note on that. Um, Vito Intervac, who was actually given some government money back in the, the summer to expand the manufacturing here, they have now started human trials with a with a COVID vaccine, and that's here at the University of Saskatchewan. So I can't say I can give Justin Trudeau credit for that, but the Canadian government did provide some funding for them at least. I think fourteen million dollars. Oh, that's good. I didn't I didn't know about yeah, that. Yeah, so there is some good news. Yeah, I, I literally just found out about that yeah. this week. Well, we're running out of time, so let's get on to our predictions for next year. All right, number one. Is there going to be an election next year? Yes. Federally? When? Spring. In the spring, though, is, is Justin Trudeau going to engineer his own demise, or is someone going to do it for him? He is going to engineer his own demise. I wouldn't argue with that one bit. I heard on, I want to say with Power and Politics, there was a lady from the NDP who had, who was quite proud to announce that the NDP has now paid off their, their last federal election campaign debt. And you and I talked about how they sort of juggled numbers and mortgaged their, their office and whatnot to do that. But if she's making that announcement, I think that maybe that means that that the NDP will start puffing their chest. Too. Yeah, well, so... I mean, we we do know that Justin Trudeau has posted a video on the Liberal website looking for potential Liberal candidates in writings that are, they currently don't hold, um, and that they're looking for uh, people from marginalized groups. So, 
so here we go, Canada. We are going to have Trudeau um, being, you know, Captain Canada and, uh, or rather, let me rephrase that because he's never been Captain Canada. Uh, Justin Trudeau is going to be Captain Woke and uh, everything that the conservatives say or do from this point on, well, and it has been for the entire five years he's been there, but it's really going to get bad. Everything the conservatives do or say is going to be racist, sexist, transphobic, xenophobic, homophobic, and misogynist. Yeah, no, that's right. Because, I mean, it's, and I guess I should say that I'm absolutely all for, you know, marginalized people, people of color, people with disabilities, whatnot, running for office. In fact, I encourage that just as much as I encourage anybody to run for office. Because having done it a couple of times myself, I know it's a lot of work and I know it's completely thankless yeah. task. So but it is anybody who wants to. But, I, for I, it, but I'm know, also uh, in I support meritocracy. And exactly. by saying that you're specifically looking for people from marginalized groups, you are no longer working in a meritocracy. Uh, you are pandering. And you are just picking people based on skin color or on sexual orientation or whatever. And that's, and that my friends is where you find the true racists and, and, uh, uh, people with, you know, with those, uh, uh, prejudice because what what I call the istoistic. Because what you, because what you, you If you want to know where the racists are, it's the people who continually focus on race. If you want to know, if you want to know who the, uh, you know, who, who the, who the people are with the prejudices, it's those people who are constantly talking about the differences between people, not what makes us the same or not what we have in common, but what separates us, what makes us different. Because, and, and, and I'll be totally honest, that is not the conservatives. It is not you or I. It's people on the left, people on the hard left, that all they do is focus on this stuff. And it's, and it's because they actually, uh, uh, in a lot of cases, and I've heard psychologists talk about this, they're the one, they are actually racist. But because they're so self-absorbed, they believe, that because they feel that way, then every white person feels that way. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like you said before, you call them the woke brigade and that's, that's, yeah. that's who and they are. So I think, you know, we're going to have the, the, this, like the next election is going to be a, a woke election and um, people are going to be beaten into submission to vote for the, for Trudeau. And unfortunately I think he will be reelected once again of, of I think it'll be a minority again, but I think he will win again. I, I it, it pains me to say that because I really, really don't want that to happen. Um, yeah, well, it, uh, it pains me. To hear so what's that, your prediction so. for COVID in 2021? Well, I think, given the light that there is this new strain that came from the UK, which has actually just arrived in Canada, I see that. I think it's going to be. A bit more of a struggle. I think COVID is going to continue to be an issue well into the summer next year. 
but I I had predicted in the late spring, early summer of this year that Canada was going to come out of this pandemic stronger than we went in. I can't say I was wrong because it hasn't happened, but I am happy to say that I believe I'm going to be wrong on that prediction. I don't think that anymore. I just don't see us being stronger coming up the other side because I think that we're going to start seeing a lot of the financial and familial damage from yeah. this pandemic as we get into spring. I think we're going to see a lot more bankruptcies. We're going to see a lot more housing foreclosures. We're going to see what well, we're already seeing, you know, divorce rates going up and, you know, domestic incidents, suicide, et cetera. I think we're really going to see hard numbers on that coming into the spring and it is not going to be pretty. No, I agree with you on that. I do agree with you on that. And I think Canada as a whole is going to be more, more divided than ever by the end of this, because we've got it's, and it's going to be the people who are fighting for our rights and freedoms versus the people who think that our rights and freedoms should be rescinded. Um, And it's, and I think that's going to be the divider. Yeah, and I, uh, I actually agree with you on that, and that's uh, a good way to prove that I'm going to that I, I was wrong when my prediction will be stronger because we're not going to be. Yeah, you're right; we will be divided, yeah. and it's. Uh, I don't know if it, if necessarily it will break Canada apart, but it's certainly going to cause us as a society a lot of unnecessary pain that we well, didn't have to yeah, go through. I agree. All right. Well, on that sad note, uh, that'll be a wrap for our year-end edition. <laughs> that's, that's the most common thing we say on this show is, on that sad note. <laughs> it, it is, and uh, we love you, Canada. We yeah. really do. But I think we are your weekly dose of, of you know, hard Reality proof, and common sense. Yeah, and that's what we're all about. So, um we thank you for a third successful year on this show. It's been uh, been fantastic. And thank you again for joining us. Until next week, it's Tony here. In and Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Tony.